The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'd like you to open your Bibles now, if you would please, to the book of Revelation chapter 2. The Spirit speaks to seven churches. That's the theme of our Sunday morning series. Seven is a number that represents completeness. And seven churches are a representation of all true churches from the first church in the first century until the Lord comes to rapture His church. True churches are groups of Christians that are covenant together in their localities and connected to their head, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, in their belief of the gospel. The Spirit of Christ speaks to churches through the unchanging, infallible Word of God. This is why we continue to read the Scriptures every week, every Sunday, because this is the way the Spirit speaks to His church. The gospel is the hope of salvation. It remedies the fall of humanity into sin, uh, from the beginning of the creation, and that happens through the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ on the cross. The plan of salvation is developed over the course of the entire Bible, from the fall at the beginning of Genesis all the way to the end in the book of Revelation, where we read uh, of the consummation of our salvation in heaven as Christ comes to take us there to be with him. And so this means that there's nothing more important for you to learn than the gospel of Christ, that your life is preserved in eternity only through this gospel. Now, recently I read an interesting statistic. Harvard researchers did a massive study of humanity, both past and present, and discovered that the mortality rate among humans still holds solidly at 100%. Now, it, it's good to know that institutions of higher learning are busy doing productive things. And to quote this report, it said, The surprising study found that given enough time, every single person on this planet will pass away completely irrespective of wealth, class, gender, race, nationality, or creed. Computer models confirmed the findings of Harvard's research team, demonstrating that no person out of seven and a half billion on the planet would be able to live forever. Now, of course, all of that said tongue-in-cheek, but it does underscore the Bible, which says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. And so that makes the message of the church critical. Now, since the death and the resurrection of Christ 2,000 years ago, this has been the singular responsibility of the Lord's church, and that is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have nothing else to give the world except the gospel of Christ. This is the thing that will help them. So the gospel tells seven and a half billion people how they can survive death. Now, of course, they will die physically unless the Lord should come back first. They will die physically, but the Bible says there's a hope of the resurrection. We can live again. And so we preach Christ crucified. We preach Christ dead, but most importantly, Christ resurrected and alive. And there will be nobody in heaven except those who believe this message. And only the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has the authority to preach this message. 
And so it's critically important for the church to accept that responsibility, to be faithful to the message, and to preach this without reservation. It doesn't matter who stands against us. It doesn't matter how much opposition there is. We are to preach the gospel, and this is the way the church has survived for 2,000 years. Now, these letters in Revelation 2 and 3 are a warning to churches that stray away from that responsibility. Now, thankfully, as we study these letters to the churches, there are two of the seven that stand as models of faithfulness. And these are the churches that we look to for encouragement in our faithfulness, and we look to the others to avoid the pitfalls that they fell into in the various stages of decline that are described in the letters. Now, our study today is the fourth church that is in this list. This is the church at Thyatira. Thyatira was a small city. It was on the road between Pergamos and Smyrna. But this little town had not reached the status of either of those cities. It was the smallest among the seven cities that had churches that these letters are written to. And yet this is the longest of of the seven letters that are written to any of the churches. This letter is the most comprehensive in its treatment of social, economic, doctrinal, and moral issues concerning the church, and it represents the inevitable consequences of failing to correct the problems that are raised by those issues. Now, the church at Smyrna that we've studied was one that knew how to deal with all these problems. The church at Pergamos didn't. Thyatira was barely trying. Pergamos was in the process of compromise, Thyatira had nearly completed that process. And their, their failure was to uphold the moral code of the Ten Commandments and the doctrinal code of the Christian statement of faith. Now, if you look at your Bibles, in verse number 18, we're reminded of their failure to deal with many issues as the Lord appears to be angry at them. Now, before we read this text, I want to give you some words and phrases that you might highlight. You might want to underline these, and someday when you go back over the passage, it'll help you to remember this study, this church at Thyatira. And I find very little to worry about that there's relevance in this passage to today's church. The Holy Spirit speaks through the Word, and it shows us that this ancient book is living and powerful and It teaches us in ways I'm barely even to be a facilitator to help you understand. Now, here's some key words and phrases that you might mark as we read, if you want to just look down through the list. In verse number 18, the Son of God. I'll talk about the importance of that, the change to the Son of God in the text. In verse number 19, it's charity, service, faith, and patience. In verse number 20, Jezebel, prophetess, and fornication. And in verse 22, great tribulation. In verse number 24, depths of Satan. In verse 25, hold fast. In verse 26, power over the nations. In verse 27, rod of iron. And then finally, in verse 28, morning star. These are the important themes. And I told you there's much here in this text. And I've got a lot of explaining to do. And you've got a lot of listening to do. The Spirit says much to us through this letter. Today we just begin. In Revelation 2, verse number 18, And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, 
who hath his eyes likened to a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works and charity and service and faith and thy patience and thy works, and the last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants, to commit fornication, and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already, hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." These seven letters are very good at providing their own outline. All of them are similar in approach. The letters are written to the pastors of the churches. The author is Christ. And according to the method of writing letters in the first century, the letters are signed at the beginning rather than at the end. And each of these letters has opening remarks about the one who wrote it. Each proceeds to commendations and complaints, there's a call for repentance, there's a promise of hope if they do, and then there's a plea to hear the message from the Spirit. And that plea and the hope may be reversed, but all of them include these components. This is the largest letter, and it appears to be the most instructive, but as far as the historical background and the personal problems of this church, this is the most obscure of the seven. Historical background for Christians in the, the large city, the famous city of Ephesus and of Smyrnas and Pergamos is plentiful, but the issues in Thyatira are kind of difficult to discern, and that's due to the insignificance of this city compared to the greater cities that we've already discussed. Thyatira was not a major center of worship for any god, whereas in Ephesus there was the temple of Diana, which was a magnificent temple known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. In Smyrna, there was a ring of architecturally magnificent temples that surrounded a beautiful harbor. And then in Pergamos, there was the temple of Zeus that was on an outcropping of rock 800 feet above the city, and as that rock jutted out, it looked like a giant throne. And that's the reference that we read to Satan's throne. Thyatira had plenty of gods, but they didn't have an outstanding god. They didn't have a beautiful temple that was built to any god. The god that's most closely associated with them is so insignificant that it's not worth mentioning, so I didn't even bother to write down his name. We don't know very much about Thyatira, but we do know something. And so we stitch things together to discover how this letter matches the need of Christians who live there. Now let me tell you just a little about the background of the city and the church. 
We do have some insight into the decline of the church into apostasy by knowing what Thyatira was best known for. This city was on the road between Pergamos and Smyrna, two very important cities. And although Pergamos the, the, in the past was a very significant place and that was beginning to wane, it once was a Seleucid capital, yet still Pergamos was important as a regional outpost of the proconsul of Rome. Smyrna was more like a laid-back city, a, a artsy resort type of town with its library and its culture. It was the in-place for rich Romans to vacation. The road that connected those two cities was a very important trade route, as most Roman roads were. And Thyatira was this little town that's just a way spot between Smyrna and Pergamos. It's sort of like, like Katadi between these two thriving metropolises of Petaluma and Roner Park. Just a way spot in the road. When, when Pergamos was the capital city, it needed a line of defense. Everybody was always trying to conquer everybody else at that time. And so Pergamos needed an outpost that would help to slow advancing armies. The geography of Pergamos made it an easy place to defend, but there wasn't any such luck for Thyatira because it lies in a valley. It has no high hills that are on any side. And that accounts for the lack of a massive, massive temple there because usually what the ancients would do would they build their huge temples on an acropolis where it could be seen for miles around. So Thyatira was not really a defensible city. It was on the road to the capital and it was just enough to do this, just enough to slow down an advancing army temporarily. So this is what Thyatira is. It's an expendable place. There was a small garrison that was placed there that really wasn't much more than just a, a, a little outpost there to stub the toe of the enemy as he tried to approach Pergamos. And so thus the history of Thyatira was always this, destruction, rebuilding, destruction, rebuilding, and that just goes on and on for centuries, an endless repeat, so that Thyatira never really gained any long-sustained prominence. But then things changed because Rome conquered the world. And when the Romans conquered people, they, they subdued them, but at the same time, they tried to keep everybody in peace, living in peace, and they allowed people a certain amount of freedom. They called that the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. So Thyatira never really need to worry any longer about advancing armies. They didn't have to worry about being trampled again, and Rome didn't need the city for defense. So instead, Thyatira, at this time that we're reading here, is in a time of peace. They are between these two great cities of Pergamos and Smyrna. They're on an important trade route, and so Thyatira began to become a commercial center. Now, interestingly, 20 centuries later, as we read this today, there is still a small city of about 25,000 in this same location of Thyatira. And in this lies the key for understanding the problems of this city. Thyatira in the first century was a place of textiles. It was a production center for clothing, especially dyes for clothing that were favored by the elite of the empire. You see, they had this famous purple dye that came from two sources. One of them was from a shellfish, the other from the root of a plant. 
And the process of extracting those dyes from both of those sources was very tedious and costly, so that garments that came from Thyatira were the most expensive that you could find in the empire. Purple was the fashionable color, and so Thyatira became rich and they thrived because of this textile industry. Thyatira is what you call Saks Fifth Avenue. Walmart shoppers don't need to go here. This is a very expensive place to buy your clothing. Now, an interesting note about purple in the ancient world is that purple was considered to be a variety of shades. Scarlet was considered purple. And the dye from the root of the plant tended towards scarlet. And this is one of the reasons that you see scarlet used in the Roman tribunals. This is why that's the clothing of their, of their rulers and their, their standards. And it's insight into the merchandising of these products from Thyatira throughout the empire that helps us to understand what's going on in the city and why there's such a problem. We see a little bit of this from Acts chapter 16 when Paul was preaching in the city of Philippi. Philippi is in Macedonia. And there he met a woman by the name of Lydia. Lydia was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Paul met her while she was worshiping with some women at the riverbank. And when he witnessed to her, she trusted the Lord, she got saved, and evidently she was a, a very wealthy woman because she owned a house in Philippi, probably a second home uh, that she used while she visited there. And some people believe that she traveled out from Thyatira to establish markets for the garments that they sold, and Philippi is one of those places. Now it may be that Lydia's influence helped to start the church in Thyatira, the scriptures say the Lord opened up her heart to the gospel of Christ and she believed. She was devout and no doubt she was a good witness for Christ. I don't believe that the scriptures would have mentioned her name if she hadn't been a very devout person because certainly Paul witnessed to others and many others were one to the Lord whose names aren't mentioned in the Bible. But if it's not Lydia who helped to start the church at Thyatira, most likely Paul's influence while he was in the region. He was in Ephesus for three years, and his influence went out all around that area. And so it may be those who heard the apostle Paul preach went to Thyatira, gave the gospel there, and then the church was established. Now it's at this point that the problem of the church of Thyatira begins to take form. Thyatira was commercialized. History says that it's a place of trade guilds. I don't know if you understand that. If you think of trade guilds or think of labor unions in our country, then you'd have an idea of what trade guilds are. Trade unions control workers and commerce, and they keep non-union workers out. And that's no different for the guilds at Thyatira. To work in the city and to earn a living meant becoming a member of one of these guilds. And so without being a member of that, there aren't any jobs, there, there is no social life, there is no means of support. It's membership in the guild or it's starvation. A good example of the power of the guilds is found in Acts chapter 19. When Paul preached at Ephesus, he ran into trouble with the guild of the silversmiths. The silversmiths made their living from making trinkets of the goddess of Diana, idols of her for worship and idols of her temple. And when Paul preached against idolatry and people got saved at Ephesus, they stopped buying all of the idols. 
And so the trade of the silversmiths began to suffer. Their pocketbooks began to suffer. And so they started a riot against Paul, and they drove him out of the city. Whenever I think of that story in Acts chapter 19, I think of visiting the mission at Santa Barbara or visiting St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. As soon as you step out of the mission of Santa Barbara, you walk into a gift shop. And there are trinkets, there are crucifixes, there are idols of Mary, there are rosary beads, there are all sorts of these things that you can buy, and those things help to support the mission there. Same thing is true at St. Peter's Square in, in Rome. You go there and it's a treasure trove of things that you can buy that the Roman Catholic Church uses to help to support them. So you find all those things there, the, the uh, pictures of Mary and the crucifixes and so on. So idols are sold everywhere. And that just sort of makes me think of Paul when he was in Ephesus. That when people were converted to Christianity, they stopped buying all of the idols. So the silver market plummeted. The pocketbooks of the trade guild are affected. And if they aren't happy, ain't nobody happy. So they started a riot against Paul and drove him out. Well, Fire Tyra's trade guilds were not silver, but they were the expensive dyes, the woolen products, that the dyes colored the clothes, and the garment industry is what controlled the economy of the city. Thyra Tyra had no major god that they honored, but they did have plenty of gods. Each trade guild had its own patron god. And so if you swore allegiance to the trade guild, then you also swore allegiance to that God because they believed it was that God that prospered the guild. Now you can see there's a developing problem here. All that work in the city are controlled by the guilds, and the people that are converted to Christianity all have their jobs where? In this garment industry. They're all a part of the guilds. And this new faith that they have in Christ says you cannot swear allegiance to any false god. It is Christ, and it's Christ alone, and there is no negotiation. So how are they going to stay in the guilds and keep their jobs without swearing allegiance? They can't. You reject the god, and it's expulsion from the guild. Expulsion from societal interchange, loss of livelihood, the rejection of all the people. And so the choice is one here, you either compromise or you starve. Now I'll get into this a little bit more as we go on in other messages, but I do need to stop here and do my duty to tell you something that you might not like. My first comment is that the economy is not number one for Christians. Your job is not number one. Now, we all need jobs, but we can't compromise our faith for a job. Thyatira is a perfect example of this. There is a Christian way and there is the world's way. And if you haven't noticed, these two ways are always at odds with each other. And the only time that they aren't is when the world tends towards Christ or the Christ or Christians tend towards the world. And I can tell you that the latter happens more than the former. There are many jobs that you can work, and you won't compromise anything in Christianity. Now, the job that you work may not favor Christianity, and probably they don't, but you're not going to do any work in that job that's anti-Christ. 
And I want you to note that that term, antichrist, because anything that you do that opposes Christ and Christ's work is antichrist. So there's some jobs that you can work. They're not going to offend your conscience. They, they're not going to destroy your testimony. And that's necessary. That's designed by God. God gives us plenty of jobs that we can work. He knows that we need to work. And so he provides plenty of secular work out there where you can work on a job and you're never going to do anything that's contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has designed it this way because your job is a mission field. Your job is a place where you can reach people for Jesus Christ. So you never need to fret because you don't have a full-time ministry job. You do. Your job is a mission field, so you are to be a minister where you are. But the issue here is there are jobs that are not Christian, and Christians shouldn't work those jobs. The type of work that you might do will cause you to reject Christian principles, and thus they are antichrist. There's some work that is ungodly. Some of it's just too obvious to even mention, but I'll illustrate. Who could defend a job for a woman in a gentleman's club. Well, that's a misnomer, of course, but we're not going to defend that. I remember there was a young woman years ago in our church in Kentucky who was consumed with her beauty. And believe it or not, her great desire was to be an underwear model. Well, that was when she got, first got saved. It didn't take long for us to tell her she needed to lose that ambition if she wanted to be a member of the church. Well, we know that kind of thing is wrong. There are other obvious things. A Christian can't be an abortion doctor. A Christian shouldn't produce pornographic materials. Here in these past few days, we've had the death of Hugh Hefner. And isn't it amazing how Hugh Hefner has been lifted up as some kind of great visionary? When Hugh Hefner was responsible for destroying minds cluttering the mind with filth that we can't even imagine today, opening up all of that to everybody, and now they're praising Hugh Hefner. Christian ought not to have a job like that. You're not going to argue with me over those kinds of things. But what about other ambitions that we have? I was listening to an old preacher in Kentucky a few weeks ago. He made a very good point. He knew... uh, he said he knew that he knew, he, he, he had met two young men. He knew them actually since they were young and, and uh, very young, and both of them were extremely talented. One of them was a, was a football player, and he was very highly recruited. He wanted to become a professional athlete. And the preacher said to him, I support you in your collegiate athletics, and I hope you enjoy yourself as long as you play the game, but I pray that you will never become a professional athlete. And he said, you can't live that lifestyle and serve Christ and his church. The second young man was a talented musician. He was trying to break in on the performance scene, and so he was playing country music in uh, several different venues, and his hope was that he would get his break, he would break into the business, and who knows, he would become the next star. So the old preacher said to him, I support your talent, I hope you enjoy your music, but I pray that you'll never become a professional musician. You cannot serve Christ and run with the crowd that performs that music. Now, both of those men were very upset at the preacher. Years later, they came back to him and they thanked him. Neither one of them made it, but they were serving Christ in their church and they were fulfilled in the Lord's work. 
And that's what Christians are made for. You're not made just to get out of hell. You are saved to serve Jesus Christ. And we need to remember these things when we push our children to do certain things. When I was in Kentucky a few months ago, I learned uh, about the lady who used to play the organ in our church for many, many years. Now she plays the, the organ in the church where my family attends. And she decided that she was going to take the summer off and she would pursue her grandson as he played baseball on Sundays. So out of the clear blue, she informed the pastor. She walked out on her job and she said, See you later. I'll be back at the end of ball season. There are some things that Christians should not do. Our lives are not meant to find satisfaction in the world. Our commitment is Christ. All things Christ. For me to live is Christ. Now you find a place in the Bible that changes that statement, and I'll change my preaching. And you can apply that to other things as well. Your retirement, your vacations, your time away from church. For me to live is Christ, not to vacation and do all the other things that I do. But let me return to work for just a minute because this is the issue at Thyatira. What do you do when there are good paying jobs that come to town and this looks like a great place to work, they pay so well, they have all the benefits. What if a huge casino comes to town? Do you go get a job at the casino? No. Because that lifestyle supports nothing that's Christian, that is anti-Christ. I'll go even one better. Christians should never go over there because they have really good restaurants. Stay away from the places where the devil lives. Now sometimes, coming from my house to go to Costco, I drive down Wilfred, uh, turn off at Stony Point, go down Wilfred, make that right turn by the casino to go over towards Costco. And the road takes you right up to the entrance. And I didn't realize that when I took the road the other day. And it takes you right up by the entrance, and you've got to slow down to let people cross the road in front of you to get into the casino. And as I was slowing down, I thought, what if somebody sees in my car, and they recognize me, and they think my next stop is a roulette wheel? Well, you wonder why is it that some Christians are terribly convicted by even getting close to the casino and yet there's some that'll take a job there there's only one word for that compromise satan is alluring the sweet smell of money by work or chance that is a trap that ensnares now let me get a little bit harder on you what what's the big economic attraction for our area well, it's not the purple from a shellfish. It's purple juice from a grape. The wine industry pays very, very good money. And you make no mistake about this. It's not about fine wines. It's about money. The wine industry has no redeeming qualities. So where's the wine industry headed right now? I know that you read the papers. You've seen this. They're headed straight into the trafficking of drugs. Because the wineries are now saying, can we... Can we divide our interest here? Can we start to grow marijuana along with our grapevines? Newly legalized marijuana. Can't we just do that too? Should a Christian be in the wine industry? A thousand times no. Well, I know that's alluring, uh, but that is a dead-end road for Christians. 
And you can argue all the virtues that you want, but it's never going to outweigh the devastating effects that that purple grape has on families and the taking of lives. Now, I know, folks, it's hard with this kind of preaching to attract people to Berean, especially those that are in that business, but I can tell you that this church does not want, neither does Christ want, us to sell out to the world instead of Him. If it is not Christ, it is anti-Christ. It's quiet in this auditorium today. And the point is that anything that you put before Christ is the God of the guild. If your job causes you to compromise Christian principles, then you have accepted the God of the guild. You just pick your God. Is it sports? Is it entertainment? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? Can you earn money any way that you please? Well, strangely enough, there is a God for every one of these things that I've just mentioned. They worship these kinds of things. These were their gods. There is a false God for every evil. We'll see it again when we get into verse number 24, where it talks about the depths of Satan. We further exposit the verses, and there's lots of problems here. So the factors in Thyatira shape the Lord's message, and as usual, the things that he says are perfectly pointed for the errors of the church. Now, you've seen this already in the previous expositions of these other churches, that every word and phrase has a pointed meaning here. The church at Thyatira received this letter, and they understood exactly where the Lord is going with this, so they didn't wonder, what did he mean by that? I just don't get it. No, they very well understood, because the Lord rang a bell here that they recognized. And my job, folks, today is to ring a bell that you will recognize and understand how this pertains to you. And if you've already felt a bell ring and you don't do anything about it, you have compromised Christ for the Antichrist. The exposition of this letter shows there is much, much cause for concern. It's a modern letter. It's written for you as much as for the original audience. This preaching is not popular. But the Lord didn't call me to be popular. And in case you didn't know, preachers and Christians in the New Testament, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself was not popular. And if you stand for him and I stand for him, we can forget about being popular because it's just not going to happen. Friendship with the world is enmity with Christ. Now I just have to ask you, if I tell you what this text says, am I telling you the truth? If I bring in something here that's historical, that I, I look up history and I say, this is what happened there, and I use that record as a support, is that the truth? And here's the shocking truth in Thyatira, that they did what most churches do today. They stopped preaching about sin. Preachers no longer told anybody about the things that I'm telling you here today. They said, you don't need to hear about sin anymore. That's enough about sin. Sin's too hard on you. You're depressed enough already, so we don't need to be talking about sin. One of the major networks did a biography piece on the most popular preacher in America. And the interviewer started by making a comment and then asking a question. And the interviewer said, You have been criticized for church light, for a cotton candy message. Do you feel like you're cheating the people by not telling them the hell part? And he said, no, no, I don't. It's a different approach. It's not hellfire and brimstone. Most people feel beaten down enough by life. They already feel guilty enough. He's right. 
It is a different approach. It's so different you can't find it in the Bible. This, this is, it's not there. That's not Christian. We've got to be faithful to preach Christ. And that means to preach Christ as He preached and as the apostles preached. Do you know that there wasn't a society that was more beaten down and made to feel guilty than the one that Jesus preached to? Just think about this. What if you lived under those Pharisees? They've added 600 laws on top of the 10 that are in the Ten Commandments. Every day they're beating the people down, telling them they've got to be holy, they've got to live by this law and that law, and they made the people feel oppressively guilty. And yet, when Jesus preached, did he say to them, Now, y'all, I know you've had enough. I don't want you to feel guiltier than you do. Let's stay positive here, because you're only as good as you feel about yourself. No, to these people that were beaten down by false doctrine, Jesus was not going to put another layer of false doctrine on top of it. And so what did he say to them? You must repent. And he said, out of your wicked heart comes evil acts. You've got to change. You've got to repent. You've got to give up sin and turn in faith to me. And guess what we see in these three letters to beaten down Christians in a society that had robbed them of their life, of their happiness, of their livelihoods, and even killed them. What does he say to these people going through all of that trouble? Chapter 2, verse 5, repent. Chapter 2, verse 16, repent or else. Chapter 2, 21, repent. Chapter 3, verse 3, repent. Chapter 3, verse 19, repent, rebuke, chasten. Now let me just ask, repent of what? What does he mean, repent? What reference makes repentance have meaning? It's only this. You ha- you, you've sinned. You're not right. What you do is no good. And folks, you don't realize how guilty you are until you're guilty enough to be driven to repentance. And so Jesus put the pedal to the metal to run them down like a Mack truck guilt of grill of guilt bearing down on them, ready to run them over until they did something about it. Now, contrary to the country's most famous preacher who brings in $90 million a year, and contrary to his books that top the bestseller lists, contrary to the one who is contrary to Christ, yes, folks, I would feel horribly guilty if I did not preach repentance from sin. I would feel an awful weight of shame as a preacher if I was unfaithful to the message and the method of Jesus Christ. And so if I told you to serve money instead of Christ, if I told you to be anti-Christ instead of pro-Christ, I would feel guilty because I would be guilty. I'd be guilty of losing faithfulness to the gospel that's required of gospel ministers. So I'm, I'm telling you, I don't want to fa- fall into the condemnation of Isaiah 56, verse number 10. His watchmen are blind, they are all ignorant, They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Who preaches a cotton candy message? Dumb dogs. Blame Isaiah for that reference, not me. I just read it from the Word of God. Preachers don't bark anymore. They're they're not ashamed 
when they coddle sin instead of preaching against sin. Folks, you don't often hear a Jonathan Edwards sermon anymore that says that you are hanging by a spider's web over the pit of hell. Now here's the point of all that I've said today. You didn't actually get an outline today. You just got a bunch of lines on your listening sheet to fill in things here. Just make this one point. Make sure you understand this one point. Berean Baptist Church will look like Thyra Tyra if this pulpit apostatizes to a message with no repentance from sin and is filled with worldly compromise. The world of the present doesn't have anything to offer that offsets the future of an eternity in hell. So I've got to tell you that truth, even if you don't like it. I've got to tell you that even if you don't like the message. The preacher is called upon to preach Christ, and this is preaching Christ. And this is where I started out in the very beginning. It is the duty of the Lord's church to preach the gospel of Christ. If I teach you anything else, you don't need to bother to listen. The gospel of Christ is all important. Acts 20, 21 says, Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 2, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ, and him crucified. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it means to preach the gospel. This is the faithfulness acclaim. And this is not the faithfulness of the church of Thyatira. Now, I hope that you'll stay with me on this. I hope that you'll appreciate the truth that's told here that this is for your good and it is for Christ's glory. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, after reading this text, we find out there is so much trouble. There is so much compromise with the world. There are too many Christians that lay down and are lazy and will not stand for their faith. They're looking for pie-in-the-sky things. And how can I be happy today? And it really doesn't matter how I get there as long as I enjoy what I'm doing. Lord, your word tells us that we must dedicate ourselves to you, give ourselves to you completely. That's going to bring hardship. We know that. It did to the disciples in, in the New Testament, it did to the prophets in the Old Testament. Anybody that decided they were going to stand for you was going to have trouble. But the benefits of enduring, the benefits of patience, the, the benefits of belief, trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior far, far outweigh anything bad that happens to us in this world. Oh, we thank you for the eternal riches that we have in Jesus Christ. And may we always strive for that in our lives to glorify Jesus Christ in all that we do. I pray, Lord, for someone here today who doesn't know you as Savior. And this is not the common message that people hear in most churches because there they're told about all happiness and good things that they can do and not even understanding what real happiness is. Joy in the Lord is to serve Jesus Christ, to obey his commandments, to know that we have a Savior that takes us to heaven. And Lord, that we are unrighteous, no good, without mercy and grace in our
condition that we're in. We'll die that way and go to hell. We must trust in Jesus Christ. And then all things change. Our whole outlook on everything changes. Because then we understand that real life is Jesus Christ. Open someone's heart to that truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.